Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message. Hi, happy Sunday. Are we sleepy today? Let's wake up a little bit. (laughs) Um, Hi, my name is Andrew. I'm on staff here at the Vineyard if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Uh, Hi, nice to kind of meet you now. Uh, I'm not the senior pastor. I'm actually the executive pastor. Our senior pastor is Adam Russell. He's right over here. He was on uh, worship today. It's nice every now and then to have him back up on the stage. Uh, He was the worship pastor here for, I don't know, 38 years. He's aged very well. Um, And last week, Adam actually introduced a new series. Uh, This series that we're in now is called Three Spiritual Journeys, and it's going to be kind of a long series. Uh, We're going to spend the first part here in November. We're going to take a break for Advent and then hit two other parts uh, after the new year. Uh, So the three parts of uh, this series that we're going to be examining, three spiritual journeys, are the inward, the outward, and the communal. And so this month we're looking at the inward journey. Why would we do that? Why are we uh, focusing on this internal spiritual journey? Uh, One way to look at it would be uh, like... Are you familiar with CrossFit, yoga, and all these exercise regimens that are always focusing largely on strengthening your core, right? Strengthening your core. Um, This is not unlike that principle. Uh, Think of the inward journey as strengthening your core because it's hard to do much else if your core is weak, right? Uh, You could have these gigantic biceps, but man, if you're just not, if you don't have it around here, it's just going to be kind of tough to do uh, exactly what you need to do. So we're focusing this month on the inward uh, inward journey. So why does it matter? Uh, It matters largely because it doesn't really matter how together thing, uh, how things appear on the outside. It may appear that things are together on the outside, but that doesn't ultimately matter if the core is fragile, underdeveloped, diseased, or rotted. If you were here last week, you saw uh, the picture of Andy Squire's giant tree that had fallen over on his his house. doesn't matter how great the exterior exterior appears if the core is weak. Uh, Some of you may be able to relate to this. Either this is you, or maybe this is a friend or a family member. we all know someone that has just like really high metabolism, right? Uh, you know, that the, it doesn't seem to matter what they eat. Nothing seems to change <laughs> regardless of their, of their eating habits. And if that's you, congratulations. We're all very happy for you. But uh, a word of caution so if you're a college student or a 20-something and you feel like uh, on a regular basis it's no big deal if you, like, scarf those, you know, those frozen Totina's pizza uh, that you eat three or four of them, they're, like, this big, they just, they're easy to eat, right? Uh, so you can do that at midnight or 1 o'clock and no big deal. Here's the problem. You may not see the external evidence, but what you don't see is what is that doing to the inside <laughs> 
of your body. What's happening with the cholesterol? What's happening to the gallbladder? What are you setting yourself up for uh, at some point? I used to be kind of that person uh, with a high metabolism. I'm 43 now. It's starting to slow down a little bit. I'm starting to like feel changes. <laughs> um, if you uh, are, are my age, uh, you probably remember in middle school having to watch those terrible videos in health and PE, Our Changing Bodies. Do you remember those videos? I feel like they should redo those for when you turn 40. You should have an updated version of Our Changing Bodies, colon, it's all downhill from here. It's something like that that we should be made to watch and understand what's happening to us when our metabolism slows down. But it doesn't matter, ultimately, what's happening on the outside. What matters is what's happening on the inside. And it's really the same way with our spiritual life. We have to be mindful of the interior, uh, interior spiritual formation. What is happening on here? So, externally, you may be somewhat going through the motions... And ultimately, that's not enough. Maybe you're going to church, you're a nice person, you uh, aren't yelling at your kids all that much. You know, you're doing most of the things, and those are all good things. But what is happening on the inside? One of the reasons that, we have, uh, that we've decided to tackle this series is because just something we are observing, not just here in this house, but kind of in our community at large, there really seems to be something that happens around the mid-30s, which we have, you know, quite a few folks that kind of fall around that demographic here, uh, and around that par- uh, part of life is when a lot of, you know, your decisions, how'd you, how'd you phrase it, your, your, they, your decisions come home to roost, right, around that spot uh, in your life. And so I've kind of become, not kind of, I've become a person that believes now that life is predominantly the sum of your smaller choices. This is, what, uh, this is what I mean. It's easy to look through your life and see these big moments, you know, where you, you, know, you got married or took a job. You know, like some of these big uh, times, you know, uh, some sort of tragedy or crisis, you know, these big uh, moments in your life. But it is the sum of all the small decisions that shape and form the person that you be, that you'll be, that you are, and will determine how you handle those moments. Does that make sense? So all the little habits, all the little disciplines, all these little daily choices that we make, those are the things that are really ultimately shaping us so that when the big moments arrive, it's going to dictate how we handle those things. So I've come to believe that life is predominantly the sum of our smaller choices. And that's really kind of what we're getting at with this talk of this interior journey is asking, our, is asking hard questions about what is happening inside We're all being formed. We all have been formed to an extent and are continuing to be formed. And we need to examine what is happening on the inside. So last week, Adam launched the series uh, by talking about meditation. Uh, If you weren't here, I really encourage you to hit the archive, uh, the audio archive on our website. He gave some really helpful and practical uh, counsel on how to approach Uh, meditation and contemplation, some good things, and bonus points for using an analogy 
that involved a cow chewing a cud. That was a great one, and people will remember that, so bonus. Good one. Yeah, so check that out on the archive. Good, mess- good message. Uh, today, though, today we're going to talk about the inward journey of prayer. The inward journey of prayer. Prayer is obviously a broad topic, and if we ask everyone in this room, what comes to your mind when I say the word prayer, or prayer life, or pray, to pray, any of those things, um, there'd probably be a fairly wide range of responses for what's you know, the first couple of things that, that come to your mind. Uh, maybe, Ray, maybe it's something like this. When I say prayer, you think something like this, seven days without prayer <laughs> makes one week. Get it? Get it? You don't get it. Sorry, I can't help you. Uh, the next one, God answers an email, right? That's good to know. An email, see what they did. All right, number three, <laughs> this church is prayer conditioned. So who, I mean, who doesn't want to go to a church that isn't prayer conditioned? Uh, but this is my favorite, this one right here. We need to talk God. So maybe <laughs> God is waiting to call you into the principal's office, and you're going to get it. So... Maybe, uh, maybe when you hear the word prayer life, you think of being called <laughs> to task or something. I don't know. There's lots of things that you may think of uh, when you hear the word prayer. Uh, probably not these things. Okay, so there are many types of prayers, and I'm not going to focus as much today on uh, giving you a tutorial on how, uh, how to pray. Uh, and there's lots of different types of prayers. Uh, So really, the bigger emphasis this morning isn't how to pray, but rather that you pray. Does that make sense? Our emphasis today is more on that you pray and less how you pray. And why wouldn't you pray? Uh, If you're here today, some of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time. Some of you are kind of exploring, but you're here on a Sunday morning at a church. And so there's probably just a general, uh, general consensus that prayer in the life of a follower of Jesus is significant. It's important. So why wouldn't you pray? So really what I want to do this morning is I want to try and address some of the most common obstacles to having the type of prayer life that we need to have. We're going to address some of these obstacles of, you know, that stand in the way of us from having the type of prayer life that we want to have, and what can we do about it? Uh, the first one, actually, uh, I'll refer back to last week's uh, message from Adam, because uh, they're just very similar, especially in our culture, whether you're talking about meditation or whether you're talking about praying, one of our biggest obstacles is distractions. Uh, they are plentiful today, and I'm sure they have been throughout human history, but man, today especially... What an abundance of distractions. And those distractions can take many forms. It could be your ever-growing to-do list, things that you need to get done around the house, uh, college students' papers that are lingering over your head, uh, or maybe it could be you know, some more uh, internal anxiety-type issues. It could be any number of things, but we all have distractions. Uh, 
And Adam gave just some really great advice last week. One of the things you can do if you're going to meditate or if you're going to pray is to simply acknowledge those distractions before the Lord. Just tell him. Say, you know, I'm feeling the pressure of getting this bill paid or whatever. Just name whatever your distractions are. And uh, even if it means this type of honesty uh, before the Lord, acknowledge sometimes that, God, I I actually don't really feel like praying. (laughs) We can be that honest with him. So let's say you feel like, I haven't really connected with the Lord. I feel like I should pray. But God, I don't feel like praying. That's actually a good prayer. Because there's no point in being anything other than completely honest with the Father. He already knows, right? He knows where you're at. But there's something about naming our distractions, naming our anxieties, naming the things that are kind of uh, in the way or that are an obstacle. And then once you name those, chances are he's going to help you through that, right? So whatever the distraction, name it and give him a chance to help you through it. All right, so there's that. Uh, Similar, but a little bit different, is the obstacle of time. Time is a big obstacle, again, predominantly in our culture. And I know that there may be some exceptions to this. Uh, You know, some of you in particular, maybe you have like a really long commute to work, and you just kind of have built into your day, you know, this kind of extra time to to maybe uh, be with the Lord, which is awesome if that's the case. But for the most part, a lot of us probably find that our days fill up pretty quickly. Um, you know, got to run kids everywhere. You got dinner and baths and homework and et cetera. So wh- wherever your walk of life is, uh, chances are you feel like time is an issue. And so sometimes when we're talking, when we hear the phrase prayer life, you may uh, think of, uh, you may have these images of people that are like carving out these long periods of time. They are going into their prayer closet for hours at a time or whatever, their, their, their place and they're, you know, face down before the Lord for, you know, these really long concentrated periods of time. And you're thinking, when am I, when am I going to do that? Um, those are good things, by the way. If you can do, have those moments. And we'll, we'll circle back to that in a minute. But I want to share with you a, vo- a verse that for uh, a long time was really intimidating to me, but now has actually uh, become very liberating for me when it comes to praying. Uh, it's 1 Thessalonians uh, 16 through 18. Uh, and this is the verse that talks about praying without ceasing. But I'll read this. Tra- this is NIV. And it says, be cheerful no matter what, pray all the time, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And so I guess in the earlier part of my walk with Jesus, that verse felt a little bit like a, you know, a dangling carrot out in front that I would never quite be able to, to catch. Like that doesn't really sound practical achievable, how do you pray without ceasing? Like, how do you go about your day uh, and, and at the same time pray without ceasing? Uh, but I'll actually look at that verse a little bit differently now because to me, prayer can be, uh, certainly can be that 
that you know concentrated time. But I also think prayer can be a running dialogue with the Father. And so for me, prayer often is waking up in the morning, acknowledging the Lord, and conversing with Him really throughout the day. And one of the things that's so helpful to me personally about that is uh, it, it helps me move away from this, uh, this picture of, okay, I need to set aside some prayer time so that I can reach up to heaven and connect with God, all right? And what that does is conversing with the Father throughout the whole day is it brings Him near all the time. He never feels far away. And so even just the little moments throughout the day, just to tell the Lord what you're thinking or what you're feeling, or if you happen to have some quiet, you know, just a few little quiet moments just to pause and listen. Even when you're engaging in conversation, in that, have that interior dialogue with the Lord, is there anything you want to speak to this moment? Like, is there anything for this person? What's, what's happening right here? And it draws the Lord near. And it also helps keep a kingdom uh, perspective on things. So if we feel like we need to restrict our interaction with God to those like, unfortunately, sometimes few and far between concentrated moments of prayer, then we're missing out on an opportunity to connect with the Lord. When we're throughout the day talking and listening to the Lord, we're also really better equipped to handle life's hurdles. So when you're communicating with the Lord, you're communing with the Lord, and you run into that person that really pushes your buttons. How much more likely are you going to be able to have a Christ-like response and attitude when you interact uh, with people that maybe sometimes would would challenge you, right? So if I run into you on the street and I'm really nice to you, it doesn't necessarily mean I really like you. It just means I was with Jesus. It may mean that I, it could be both. It could be both. I may, maybe I like you too. You see what I'm saying though? Like having that ongoing communion with the Lord is a type of, is a type of prayer and is a type of prayer life. But this is a both and situation. So the, this daily dialogue is great, but it's still important to look for those times where you can put on the brakes and really concentrate with the Lord. Imagine this scenario. Imagine uh, you work with your spouse or maybe you work at home. So one of those scenarios where you get to be with your spouse most of the day on a, on a daily basis. And so you're just kind of navigating the day together. So you're doing whatever the, the, the chores or having you know, uh, light conversations, tackling this, tackling that, and that's, that's good, and that's great. And that does promote a type of intimacy. But even with that scenario, it's still necessary to, from time to time, put on the brakes, sit down, and have deeper conversations. Does that make sense? Good. <laughs> uh, Am I, are you with me? Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm fishing now. That's all right. Um, 
in my house, uh, my wife's name is Sarah, and she's really, she's really good at this uh, in our home. I'm a little bit more of a creature of, a ha- of habit, and I can be a little bit more uh, oblivious. I can get swept up in the momentum of the day or the week, and uh, Sarah's really good about pumping those brakes and saying to me or to the kids, asking good questions like, how's your heart? It's a really good practice. She has started doing this thing at dinner with uh, around the dinner table with the family. We'll just go around and we'll say, uh, what was the best part of your day? What was the hardest part of your day? And uh, where, was there a moment in the day where you were able to show kindness to somebody or help somebody or something like that? Three little questions. And it's just really good. It's a good practice to pump the brakes, carve out some time. So whether it's with your spouse or your family, but in this context, we're talking about prayer. So it's a both-and scenario. But one thing that I want to get across is don't be intimidated by this notion that prayer is only those long, like, marathon-type encounters with the Lord. Those are good. You should pursue those. But it's both-and. And the main point I want to make is It's important not to do nothing. It's my double negative for the day. It's important not to do nothing. It's both and. All right. So we've talked a little bit about, uh, let's see, we talked about distractions. We talked about time. Another obstacle to having the kind of prayer life that we would hopefully have is doubt. Is prayer effective? Does it matter? Does it do anything? anything. We somewhat address one part of that. So uh, one sense there in terms of doubting and, and the effectiveness of prayer is, does, does God hear me? Is he even there? That, that sort of feeling. Uh, and I think having that daily interaction with the Lord can really help there. So let's, let's frame this question this way when it comes to the effectiveness of prayer is like in the specific prayer requests. When you're asking specific things of the Lord. Um, by the way, uh, we are, through this series, we're referencing this book quite a bit. We encourage you to get it. It's a great book. It's called Spiritual Classics. I think we have a link on our Facebook page. It's really good. One of the contributors to this book, her name is Agnes Sanford. She was born in China to a Presbyterian missionary. She's written and sold uh, a lot of books on prayer. And so, uh, in this particular section, she's highlighting the value of specific prayer requests. And she was telling a story about a woman who needed rain boots for her sons. They walked to school. Where they lived, it was kind of like the, the rainy season. They didn't have rain boots. They needed rain boots. And so, she made a really specific request to the Lord about providing those. And two days later, someone gave them rain boots which is great. However, she shared this story with another person, and that person was very skeptical and said that they would never pray like that. Their concern was this. What if the boots didn't come? It's a valid question. What if the boots didn't come? What would that mean? Would it mean that there's no God? Like, what what are the implications? You pray for the boots and the boots don't come. What does that mean? I would never, I would never pray like that. <laughs> and she, her, her rea- uh, reaction 
was if you turn on a lamp and it doesn't come on, is your first thought, well, I guess there's no electricity. I think that's a good point. That's not typically where our first thought would be. There's probably just some other issue in the process. All right, here's where I'm not going with all this. Where I'm not going is I'm not about to give you some formula. I already mentioned we're not talking specifically today a lot about how to pray. So we're not about to give you a formula for how to ensure that you're going to get the things that you pray for. You cannot reduce the Lord to a formula. However, I will offer this nugget of wisdom from the theologian Michael Scott. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. All right, what's the connection here? What am I getting at? Your chances of having your prayers answered dramatically increase when you actually pray them. Does that make sense? Your chances of having your prayers answered dramatically increase when you actually pray them. And she gives this helpful hint when it comes to praying. This is good advice for any type of prayer. But even when it comes to like specific requests, this is good advice. It's important that we do our best to align ourselves with God's will as we pray. And that's a loaded phrase, right? God's will. Let me tell you what I don't mean and what I, uh, what I don't believe she means uh, when we say God's will. Uh, there's a movie where Billy Bob Thornton was cast as the President of the United States. It's super believable. And uh, Hugh Grant is the Prime Minister of the UK. And they're having this private meeting. And Hugh Grant, the Prime Minister, says, I need to talk to you about a couple things that are very important to me, near and dear to my heart. And President Billy Bob says, I'll give you anything you want as long as it's something I don't mind to give. With a canary-eating grin, he responds. This is not the Lord. All right? This is not the Lord. This is not how he responds to us when we pray. He is not tight-fisted, and we're not in this spiritual guessing game, this perpetual spiritual guessing game, where we're just trying to figure out what is the right thing to pray so I can get that thing, right? That's not what we're getting at when we say trying to align with God's will. We ask the right thing. Yahtzee, we got it. What she means is when we're talking about God's will, we need to consider what his nature is. What is the nature of God? You want to know what the will of God is? Well, what's the nature of God? And what is the nature of God? Non-rhetorical question. At his core, what is the nature of God? God is love. Love. So if you want to endeavor to align yourself with the will of God, even as you pray, even in our simplest request, it's good to pray from a place that is ultimately rooted in love. Does that make sense? 
So do we doubt the effectiveness of prayer? One thing that will help your prayer life in that regard is to try and align yourself with the loving nature of the Lord, even as you pray for specific things. All right, one more obstacle. Moving quick. Prayer seems hard, or it can. So maybe for some of us, uh, as we're talking about developing or cultivating a life of prayer, there may be a part of us that's thinking, that sounds difficult. It sounds hard. It sounds and feels uh, like an obligation, right? Some of that good Southern religious guilt, right? We need to, <laughs> we need to pray. This seems long. Uh, do we have to pray for everyone in our family? Like it's, maybe it feels tedious. It sounds like it's hard and it feels like an obligation. Another contributor uh, to the book here, Andre uh, Luth, he was a Trappist monk. And he had a great metaphor uh, to try and answer the question, uh, which isn't exactly an easy answer, an easy question to answer. Is prayer difficult? It's kind of a loaded question. Uh, but he answered it this way with a metaphor about uh, playing the lute. Any lute players in the room? I do not play the lute. I don't play any instruments, so I'm going to modify his metaphor a little bit. Uh, I don't play an instrument, but I drink coffee. How does that relate? Well, um, if you know me, you know that I have a ridiculous uh, sweet tooth. It's really bad. Um, Years of Skittles and Sour Patch Kids abuse here. (laughs) Uh, Coke, Mountain Dew, whatever, like really significant. Uh, Sweet Tooth. And growing up, I never really had any interest in coffee. That was not my jam. Hot chocolate, sure. Coffee, no thanks. Until I got around some of these guys and their coffee, they're always talking about it. No, it's not that bad. But, the, but I did start to get interested in some of these conversations. They're talking about some of the nuances of roasting and all these different things in different countries. And I just started getting a little bit interested in what they were talking about. So in the early days, Hardened Coffee was serving out of Sunshine. Uh, and, you know, they had a little setup over there. And he started making for me uh, a very special latte called the Warden. Uh, there was basically a, had, he had these, you know, flavored syrups. And he would make a chocolate peanut butter latte <laughs> for me. And that was, you know, that, I was like, I can do this. This is right up my alley. But we couldn't make lattes at home. So I started getting to this spot there that, man, I really like this, you know, this kind of culture, this thing of like having this warm drink in the mornings. But, you know, I didn't go to Sunshine every morning. So uh, what do we do? You know, what do I do? I can't make a peanut butter latte at home. Uh, 
So I get the flavored creamer, which is kind of like a step down, you know. It's regular coffee. It's not the latte, but I'm putting like the caramel macchiato, whatever stuff in my coffee. So that's kind of the next progression. And then from there, when, Har- uh, when Justin moves to the, where he is now, he actually gets rid of his syrups, which I didn't appreciate at the time, some of those. There's no more peanut butter syrup at Hardened Coffee. Although, uh, I would love it if you all would just, can we just make an, uh, an agreement to, everybody this week when you go in, ask for the warden. Just do it. Just see what he says. <laughs> Maybe if there's enough demand. No. Um, so now, it's really enough to go in, just get a regular cup of coffee with some cream and sugar, and I am growing as a person. <laughs> I feel like I'm maturing. My palate is changing. I'm not all the way there. I had an oatmeal cream pie for breakfast. So it's not like I've completely arrived in this regard, but, you know, baby steps. So it was a process. Maybe it's a silly example, but I hope you, you get what I'm saying. Um, I wasn't interested at first, but I started taking steps, and there was a progression. Prayer is much the same way. Prayer is much the same way. And so maybe... Where you are right now, maybe it feels a little bit like a sense of an obligation, but here's where we want to get to. We want to get to the place where we realize that prayer is actually a gift to the one who prays. And the best prayers are those that are simply coming from an overflow of what's in your heart, what's happening in your heart. Let's uh, look at the, the Lord's Prayer. Um. I was drawn to this at first, and I kind of resisted it because I was like, why, why am I resisting this? And I realized I preached on the Lord's Prayer just a couple years ago. <laughs> there's a lot of passages on prayer, but I just felt compelled because there's a couple of uh, truths I feel like are really relevant to the conversation today that we need to pull out. Uh, one thing about the Lord's Prayer that is very significant is the fact uh, that Jesus usually responded to people in terms of teaching with you know, like metaphors and parables. He didn't usually give a super direct, clear, um, I, I, don't, I won't say formulaic, but a, like a clear response, do this. So they asked him how to pray, and he says, this is how you should pray. I think that's really significant. When we consider the Lord's Prayer, this is one of those rare moments where Jesus gives a super clear answer. Let's read it together. Uh, This is in Matthew. It's also found in Luke, uh, but we're going to read Matthew, and I believe this is the NIV, but he says, This then is how you should pray, and everyone together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's three critical truths that I see embedded here that I want to draw your attention to. And if we can latch on to these things, then I think this kind of opens the gateway to a growing, healthy life of prayer. There's three things. We can see in, these first couple, in this first little verse who God is, who we are, And who we are to Him. If we 
can receive those things and have some understanding of those three things, that actually kind of changes everything. Who is he? Our Father in heaven, or you could say our heavenly Father, holds the universe in his hands, but yet he's accessible. He's all-powerful, but he's good. So we start to think these types of thoughts here. This omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful being. And yet he's good and he's accessible. And who are we? We're his children. See, I think it's interesting. You know, God is God has a lot of names in the Bible. He's called a lot of things, you know. He's... High King, you know, whatever. Lots and lots of different things. And in this prayer, <laughs> do you want a list? Do you want an exhaustive list? Yes, yes all of them. All right. <laughs> Sir. Okay. Well. Um, but here's this one moment where Jesus is being pretty directive. And he says, this is how you refer to God. Our Father. Of all the ways He was encouraging us to come to God, He wanted us to approach Him as children. So, who is God? Who are we? And who are we to Him? He's the Heavenly Father. And we are his kids. And he is a good father. The most patient, the most loving, the kindness, the most the kindest and the most forgiving. And see, if we start operating in this space of acknowledging who he is and understanding who he is and understanding who we are, who we are to him, then prayer starts to become less of an obligation and more of a gift of grace, of having the invitation to interact with our Heavenly Father. Simone Weil, uh, again, contributing from this book, she puts it this way. He is our Father. There is nothing real in us which does not come from Him. We belong to Him. And we do not have to search for Him. We only have to change the direction in which we are looking. I love that. So prayer is a gift to those who pray. So my hope this morning is that we will stop focusing so much on some of these perceived obstacles to entering into prayer. It's such a critical part of our spiritual formation, the interior spiritual formation, to enter into prayer with the Lord. And I think maybe this is really the first step here, is to understand who He is, who we are, and who we are to Him. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.